Harry Cohn was a movie producer, at one time head of Columbia Studios. And his brother Jack once suggested to Harry that they produce a biblical epic. What do you know about the Bible? Harry said. I'll lay you $50 you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And after a moment's thought, his brother began, Now I lay me down to sleep. And Harry pulled $50 out of his pocket and said, well, I'll be darned. He said, handing the money to his brother, I didn't think you knew it. (laughs) We're not all that surprised when people make a bet to prove a point. But when in the Bible God takes a wager and Job suffers for no reason, that surprises us. We don't like it. We don't understand it. Some say the book of Job was written to help us work out our views about suffering and the unfairness of life. But Job doesn't really give us answers. And so, is it worth studying? How did such a book end up in the canon of Scripture anyway? It doesn't fit into the law like Exodus and Leviticus. It doesn't fit into history like Joshua and Kings and Chronicles. It's not a psalm or a set of proverbs or the judgments of the prophets. And yet it's still collected into the section of the Old Testament called wisdom literature. And so we get to ponder over the next few weeks, except for next Sunday, what Wisdom can we gain from Job? I think he has something specific to say to us on this World Communion Sunday. Entitlement. Entitlement is a current buzzword, but its meaning goes back centuries. As I understand it, a line of thought active in much of the Old Testament and some of the New was that people got what they deserved. If they kept the law, all 613 of the laws, they would be blessed. These days, we call it the prosperity gospel. If you pray for it and you're faithful, then you deserve to be blessed. You deserve that hotshot car and the personal jet because you have been faithful to God. People who don't have much, well, they obviously have not been living right. Otherwise, they'd be rich too, right? The book of Job was written centuries prior to the Greek dualistic understanding of God as good and a devil as evil, this Satan, better translated as the adversary or the accuser, this one that appears in the first first chapters of Job is not an enemy of God, but a co-worker, a member of the heavenly council of which God is the chairperson. This accuser sees Job and suggests to God that Job is only good and righteous because God has given Job such a great, blessed life. And if all of those pillars were removed, Job would crumble too. And God takes the bet. 
Go ahead. Take away everything he has, and you'll see that Job will remain loyal to me. Everything but his life. Do you know anyone like Job? Have you ever said, he sure has had more than his share of tragedy? Or, I don't know how much more she can take. In the midst of grief or pain or trauma, it's as if we have a threshold of suffering that we should reach, and if we go beyond that, then life is unfair. Like Job, we do not deserve it. Is God still taking bets and afflicting us for no reason? And even if we do behave as well as Job, are we entitled to a pain-free life? You'd think that if anyone were entitled to a pain-free life, it would have been Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. But even from the beginning prophecies about Jesus, as we've been looking at at Wednesday night Bible studies, Jesus was destined for peril. According to Simeon, who met the baby Jesus with his mother and father in the temple, Jesus was destined to be a sign that will be opposed It's not fair. Even if you believe that Jesus' death and the manner he died was necessary for our salvation, what does it say about a God who will allow this cherished son to be tortured and crucified? Is this the kind of God we want? And yet, on the other hand, we have to be careful. In Genesis, we're told that God formed humans according to the divine image and As someone has said, we don't want to return the favor and create God in our image. So for now, we have to take Job at face value. Afflicted with sores all over his body, Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes that was out of town, away from everyone, because he was apparently now unblessed. His wife says to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he says, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? Sam Ballantyne points out in his extensive commentary on Job the irony of a broken man scraping his skin with a broken piece of pottery. And even in his uncleanness and his grief and pain, he questions, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? Today we gather around the table of communion like millions of our brothers and sisters worldwide And many of us are broken as well. Each time we gather around this table, we recognize our brokenness and Jesus Christ's ability to heal. Each time we gather around this table, we receive the good at the hand of God as well as the bad. Around this table, we remember Jesus eating with his disciples on a fateful night after talking ominously about what it meant to be the body and the blood. 
So the table before us is an image that is solemn and sorrowful and painful. And yet, that's not all. This table also is the image of a feast that awaits us, a feast beyond this life where souls all are embraced by the God of love. As we participate in this feast, we remember that every day we walk this earth is pure gift. We are not entitled to any day. And so we feast. The hymn that leads us to communion is uplifting, reminding us of the good, the joy, the opportunity for thanksgiving. During the passing of the peace, Sung Wan will begin the music, at which time I invite you to return to your seats. And then we will sing verses 1 and 2 of this joyful song as we continue to prepare to receive the gifts of the Christian life, the good and the bad. To his table, Jesus invites the wealthy and the poor, the depressed and the broken, the addicted and those who celebrate freedom, those who feel blessed and those who feel cursed. All are welcome. 